KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. March Madness is around the corner, and you know what that means. We're going to start seeing the NCAA logo plastered everywhere. But the NCAA is under fire on multiple fronts, and the world of college athletics is much different now than it was even, say, five years ago because of things like the transfer portal and name-image likeness deals for student-athletes. A lot of good people are leaving the business because they feel like, I, I don't even know how to manage this anymore. And that's problematic. Dr. Karen Weaver is an adjunct assistant professor at the University of Pennsylvania and an expert on the world of college athletics. She thinks that as individual schools and power conferences begin to get more and more power, the NCAA's chickens could come home to roost. The NCAA's behavior has earned them a lot of enemies over the years in high places. It seems like they don't know what to do. College presidents don't know really how to behave because what's working for them is in the best interests of their institutions at this moment. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In Depth, we discuss the state of the NCAA and what a rapidly changing landscape might mean for the future of college athletics. Let's start with this. How would you describe the state of the NCAA right now? Uh, In great disarray. Some people would say it's lacked a lot of its uh, power and influence. It has waned over the last several years because of numerous lawsuits, because of the continuous attacks that they get from institutions, from the media, from just the general sports fan who cares about college athletics. They need to blame somebody, and the NCAA has just allowed itself to become an easy target. We used to say the NCAA is us. It's the member institutions who, you know, make the rules and are supposed to abide by the rules. But it really doesn't feel that way anymore. I feel like Division One is separated into three or four different kinds of organizations. Division Two and Division Three are left to do something completely different. The national office staff kind of runs the way they want to run because they haven't been given great guidance, particularly around some of the issues with Title IX and women's basketball. So there's a lot of um, drifting away from the central mission of providing a true quality experience for the athletes. They're trying to get back to that with the transformation committee which did some work in the last couple of years. But really, it takes putting your money where your mouth is. And that seems to be the big battle right now. Even if the NCAA were proactive, were as progressive, if they accepted the landscape for what it was and worked the best they could, is it even possible to keep up with the way things have changed? So here's the fundamental premise that has now been really rocked is that they the NCAA believed as an organization they could create a level playing field so that when the Division I schools were playing against each other, they knew that each athlete was a full-time student, that each athlete had a certain GPA, that each athlete wasn't getting any money under the table, that each athlete was adhering to the monthly or weekly uh, practice guidelines. The fact that they have been told, or at least they interpret being told by the Supreme Court that the court itself is leaning towards they, the fact that the NCAA may be an antitrust violation with trying to achieve that level playing field across the country, they, they've lost their, their balance. Because how do you say that the, the game is the same, that the two teams playing against each other have had the same preparation, practice, and coaching when you've got NIL, when you've got transfer portal, when you've got uh, changes in eligibility over, you know, having four or five, six years, you know, athletes on the field. It doesn't feel that 
that way anymore. And I think that's the one thing that college athletics tried to promise is that we'll give everybody a chance to win a national championship. It may not have been the reality, but that's what they believed. And now with names, image, and likeness, with the fluidity of athletes coming and going quickly, it doesn't feel that that's stable at all anymore. One of the things that came out of the recent NCAA convention was it became very obvious that the NCAA is looking to Congress for help. Explain to a layman what, in a perfect world, if they got what they wanted, what what is the NCAA hoping lawmakers will do for them? Well, again, I'll I'll talk about the issue of being able to create a level playing field because right now they don't have antitrust protection. You know, the NFL has antitrust, Major League Baseball. They went to Congress decades ago and got that protection so that they could create rules that insulated them from any kind of legal challenges. Because the NCAA doesn't have that protection, they have been pummeled with lawsuits into the hundreds of millions of dollars over the last several years, obviously causing great consternation to the membership, which is that just think that that takes away money from us. So what they would like is some clarity. And they think the best way to get that is through congressional intervention in saying college athletics is unique, it's special, it's amateur, although I think we'd have a hard time arguing that today. But it needs, because it holds a special place in society, it should be able to conform and create special rules so that they can get closer to this level playing field. The problem is, is that here we are in, in 2023, the sense is that if it, nothing gets passed. I mean, signed, passed by the House, passed by the Senate, signed by the president. By the end of the summer of this year, the 2024 election season is going to take over and nothing will get done. And so that leaves the NCAA in this perilous situation of two plus more years of this kind of insanity. And uh, a lot of good people are leaving the business because they feel like, I, I don't even know how to manage this anymore. And that's problematic. How many of these problems do you think could have been dealt with or avoided if they had done something and moved with the times? How much of a better spot do you think they'd be in? Or would it still be in a untenable spot, but it might just be not red alert, blinking lights everywhere? The last time the NCAA got a favorable college athletics got a favorable opinion was back in 1984 when the NCAA lost control of the television rights and the television rights reverted back to the institutions to make decisions about how many games would be on TV and how often they would be on TV and all that type of thing. So since then, there's been no real threat to NCAA's autonomy and power from the Supreme Court. Fast forward to 2021, and all of a sudden, it was like the earth shook. And the NCAA had successfully fought or argued in front of the circuit courts, appeals courts, et cetera, and said, our amateur model is what separates us from the NFL. It's what separates us from the NBA. And so that's the distinctive quality that we deserve to, we, we're asking you to protect. And the courts kind of bought it for years, but this court with its makeup said, we don't buy it anymore. And in fact, you had Brett Kavanaugh, who wrote a very blistering concurring opinion that said, not only do we think you have problems now, but we think you're going to have problems with the way you regulate scholarships and coaches' contracts and all these other things in the in the ostensible act of maintaining a level playing field or saving money. And so the NCAA did a quick about face and said, well, we're not going to interfere with anything now because we don't want to be accused of an antitrust violation. And any damages awarded to the plant to the attorneys of the plaintiffs would be tripled. Under, under federal law and that. So it's a very dangerous situation. So yes, to answer your question, maybe slow to react, but th there was no there there in the court cases to show them that they had any reason to change their minds. 
But I will tell you this, Matt, since 1996, the NCAA reworked its power structure and the Power Five conferences, some of the presidents of those schools got much more power in return for other schools getting more money, but less vote. And that's part of what's going on here because no president at Baylor or at USC or Penn State wants to see money being lost on their watch from television rights from the NCAA March Madness. So they were going to fight to keep everything that they had in this process. So let's assume nothing happens. I mean, you and I talk in two years, you know, 2024, 2025. Does the NCAA still exist or is it anything more than just the emblem on the top of stationary as far as the impact it has and what could that look like? So I think the NCAA does still exist, but in a much weakened form. And let me tell you why. There's every incentive right now for at least the Big Ten and the SEC to break away and do what they want to do, how they want to do it because of their control in the marketplace. The other three conferences, the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12, have every incentive to try to keep with those two, to try to make sure they are in the same conversation. They could leave tomorrow and and start their own March Madness tournament if they wanted to and say this is this is the new you know March tournament for basketball. They could create tournaments for women's basketball and ice hockey and all kinds of different things that don't fall under the NCAA umbrella keep more of the money and maybe even generate more money because you don't have some of the other expenses that you do under the NCAA tournament of sharing it with everybody else. That could happen. The only reason it's not happening right now is because the NCAA is absorbing the brunt of the legal challenges. When when a lawyer wants to go sue somebody, the first client they want to sue is the NCAA. So that provides a shield of protection for, for those schools getting all of the revenue and having few of the costs. And that's a pretty darn good deal right now. It doesn't help all the other schools, but it helps them. We need to take a break. We will have more with Dr. Karen Weaver right after this. This is KYW News Radio In-Depth. And we are back on KYW News Radio In-Depth, continuing our conversation about the future of the NCAA with Dr. Karen Weaver. How could the student-athlete experience change in that situation? Could we get to a point where certain schools basically have a payroll and whatever that looks like, you know, whether it's funneled through name image likeness situations or once these big time conferences are in charge, do we just kind of pull the mask off completely and go, you know what? Starters earn X, reserves earn Y, walk-ons get Z, and that's how we're going to do things. I mean, is that am I crazy or is that a legit possibility? Well, for years, uh, lawyers and others have written journal articles about the fact that the college Uh, athletics world should split into commercial and educational, right? And schools need to pick sides. Again, there's incentive not to do that for the highest ranked schools because of the loss of uh, 501c3 status. Their donations would no longer be considered tax deductible. You know, the uh, the NFL evidently gets taxed up to 40% of their revenues. So right now, college athletics rarely gets any kind of tax on their revenues. So that's a huge loss. And by declaring athletes as employees, 
My suspicion is that's one of the reasons they don't want to see this happen is because they don't want to lose the tax advantage status that they have with these revenues. Um, the, but the revenues keep growing. So my my guess is they'll continue to create opportunities for collectives to uh, work together uh, to try to create more revenue opportunities, although they have to be careful with Title IX. And they'll look work to build more palaces for facilities. They'll look to hire more staff and lawyers and tax accountants and all those kinds of things to make it easier creating NIL suites in their buildings so that people can promote themselves. And the gap will get so much larger. You just look at the the staffing of some of these departments. Um, Penn State, for example, has nearly 400 full-time staff. For, to run the athletics department. Some colleges don't have that many people on their whole payroll. So I think it's going to increase the size and the reach and the insularity of some of those programs to try to be competitive. Who holds the power to say, no, they're employees and they're not amateurs? Is that a, is that a court? Is that a National Labor Relations Board? Is that Congress? Like, Who could have the power to say, nope, we're not doing, this is what they are, and and you're going to proceed accordingly. Well, in, in the world that we live in, Matt, it seems like everybody's got some some vested interest in whether that happens or not. So the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, has filed two actions against you know USC and also the Pac-12 conference saying that application of the rules on their athletes is acting like it's a full, more than a full-time job. So, and, and we know that since the Biden administration came in, they've been looking for a test case. So let's say that that comes to fruition like it did in 2014 with the Northwestern university football team. That was a big deal in the Midwest. But when it got to to Washington, D.C., the NLRB took no position, so it died. But once it gets through, if, if there's a position taken by the NLRB, that, that might force the Congress to act. And that might force uh, another agency to, t- to try to look into this. We've heard about the FTC, for example, examining some of the trade practices around college athletics. So there are always a number of ways, number of agencies can get involved here. And the key is, at least has been successful, is not to build momentum, to view these as one and dones. Somebody tried, they failed. Somebody tried, they failed. But I worry that there will be some momentum because the NCAA's behavior has earned them a lot of enemies over the years in high places. It seems like they don't know what to do. College presidents don't know really how to behave because what's working for them is in the best interests of their institutions at this moment. And then really everything else is secondary. I recently broadcast a game up at the University of Hartford, and they are transitioning down from Division One to Division Three. You don't see that very often, but given everything that we've talked about and this landscape and these big conferences moving, do you think it's something we could see more of that some of these, what we like to call mid-majors and stuff like that, kind of look around and look at the landscape and go, you know what, it would suck, it'd be painful, but... If we can't compete at that level, maybe we're better off, you know, throttling down to somewhere where we can contain the costs and know what we're dealing with. Do you think we could see more of that? Well, this is exactly the work that I'm doing at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm working with senior campus leaders, with college presidents, asking them these very tough questions because many of them have inherited decisions made 20, 25 years ago about moving to Division One, and they realize today it's not a good decision. So how do they how do they reinvent and reimagine their institutions in this new world? That's exactly what Hartford did, and they said, "Look, let's look at the reality here. We're never going to be a uh, UConn or a, even a UMass in that situation. We've got to." 
survive in our regional niche. And, you know, these are tough conversations to have because alumni don't like to feel like their institution is going backwards. And I think some of this might be about Division Three rebranding itself as really a, a true place for amateur athletics, where you can really experience all kinds of things on campus besides just being at practice every day of the year. And so I think part of this is presidents thinking about, okay, how do we make this sound like it really is a core part of our experience, not just about chasing championships, although certainly that'll be important, but about balance and perspective and mental health and all the things that we talk about today. Would we be better off if we you know, stopped with this charade of, oh, everybody's equal and, you know, anybody that's paid any attention and has done anything knows this isn't the case, despite the best of intentions. Like, would we be in a better place overall if we just kind of were all on the same footing and understood what's what? I think we'd be in a better place if we admitted that excellence looks like different things to different people. And this idea of striving for Division I standing, like becoming a Carnegie Research One institution, that badge of honor comes at great cost to your to your budget, to your coaches, to your staff, to your athletes. And sometimes it's just not feasible. So may, there may be other ways to brand yourself as an excellent institution with forward-thinking priorities. And maybe Division I athletics isn't it. Charlie Baker, former governor of Massachusetts, taking over as NCAA president. Why would he want this job? And at this point in the game, you know, when he's down three touchdowns out of timeouts and there's two and a half minutes on the clock, what can he hope to do? Is it just to slow things down? Does he is there anything you think he can do to 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 really turn this around? Is there bold action he could take? You know, what do you see? As you said that, I'm reminded of the movie Rudy and the the sub coming in in the Notre Dame football game and somehow doing something miraculous and, and everybody's happy and he's the champion. We love those stories in college athletics, but I don't think Charlie Baker is Rudy. <laughs> I think he's going to come in and try to uh, build some friendships, uh, read the landscape, maybe make some changes around the edges with how institutional membership is defined. He will be spend a lot of his time in Washington, I'm sure. But at this point, I, I think that's that's about all we might expect. I really don't see the political waters adjusting to the NCAA's needs at this point in time. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. <laughs>